0: Father in heaven, we do thank you for this chapter in your word. Help us to see in it what you intend us to see, which is the superiority of Christ over all things. And we pray, Lord, that as we do, we wouldn't only see these things on the pages of scripture, but we would live our lives in such a way that shows the superiority of Christ to this world. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen Amen. Well most of you I think will be familiar with this sign On the screen from your days in Maths class It is of course the greater than sign Used normally to compare two numbers For example 5 is greater than 3 But it's also a sign that can be used To compare and contrast Other things as well So I've got a few on the screen That I I think you're probably with me on Here's the first one, the Mars bar Is greater Than the Twix Happy with that? Mars bar great in the twix. A few nods, a few shakes of the head, okay. Here's the second one, as a Lancashire lad, the North <laughs> is greater than the South. Hey, <laughs> and here's our third one. Football, the beautiful game. We're on the brink of World Cup in Russia it is greater Peter Warner. There we go. There's a few greater. Of course, there's a little bit of debate about some of these greater thans on the screen. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no debate at all. Jesus is greater than all. He's supreme over all. He's superior to all. And he is more glorious than all. And that is the author's main intent in the book of Hebrews to show us the superiority of Christ. And you see, when we get that, the book of Hebrews begins to hang together, as you see from the structure there on the screen. Jesus is greater than the angels, chapter 1 and 2. Jesus is greater than Moses, chapter 3 and 4. Jesus is greater than any priest or any other mediator who could stand between God and man. Chapter 5 through to 7. And Jesus is greater than any other sacrifice. In fact, he is the full and final sacrifice for sin. Chapter 8 through to 10. Jesus is greater than all. And this morning as we home in on chapter 3, we will see that Jesus, the faithful son of God, is greater than Moses, the faithful servant of God. Have a look down at verse 3 of chapter 3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Then 5 and 6, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Jesus, the faithful servant, we shall see this morning, the faithful son, sorry, is greater than Moses, the faithful servant. Before we continue to explore that contrast, though, in chapter 3, let me remind you of the gentle warning that we read about last week in chapter 2, verse 1. Do you remember it? It's the, it's the warning that punctuates the whole book of Hebrews. It's there on the screen as well. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The danger of drifting is very real, of drifting slowly, away from jesus carried along in the current of this world and you see that was a sad story of the history of israel that many did in fact drift away in fact a good number of those whom god rescued and led out of egypt never even made it into the promised land they fell in the wilderness they never set foot in the land of rest why We'll have a look at the last verse of today's reading, verse 19 of chapter 3. So we see they were not able to enter. They failed to enter because of their unbelief. So what is it then? What is it that will keep us from drifting into unbelief? What is it that will keep us going through all the hardships and the challenges and the persecutions of this life as we journey until we step over the threshold into heaven itself. What will keep us going? Well, it's a right view of Jesus. Our all supreme and sufficient savior who is greater than all. And that is why Hebrews chapter three verse one, Begins where it does with an exhortation to fix, to fix our thoughts on Jesus. And this is our first point of three this morning. Have a look down at chapter three, verse one. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Those two descriptions of Jesus there at the end of verse 1, our apostle and our high priest, are really a summary of the first two chapters of the book of Hebrews. You see, as our apostle... Jesus is the full disclosure of God, the one who makes him fully known. Do you remember back in chapter 1, verse 1? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God is a God of disclosure. He's been in the business of speaking and revealing himself. And now he has done it fully and finally in his son. As our apostle, Jesus is the full disclosure of God. And as our high priest, Jesus enables full access to God by becoming a human being, by bearing our sin in his body, and by dying on the cross in our place. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 17, where the chapter before ends for this reason. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Why? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. In Christ, we have full disclosure of God and we have full access to God. And these are two things. That Moses could never give us. Despite the key role he played in God's salvation history. Christ alone is the disclosure of God. Christ alone gives us access to God. And that's why the author then goes on in these following verses. To compare and to contrast the Lord Jesus with his faithful Servant Moses have a look down at verse 5 and 6. This is where the contrast I think is probably clearest Moses Was faithful as a servant in all God's house Bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house and We are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Three contrasts I think you can see there in verse 5 and verse 6. Firstly, Moses was, but Jesus is. Moses served God faithfully during that particular slice of history. Moses was faithful back then. Jesus is The faithful son now and will be the faithful son for all of eternity moses was jesus is moses was faithful as a servant but christ is faithful as the son and you see a son is of superior status is he not to the servant do you remember that? We were introduced to the sun back in chapter 1, verse 3. What did we learn? The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being, the full splendor and majesty of God Almighty is seen in the sun. Jesus as the Son, is superior to Moses, the servant. And lastly, Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. You see, Moses lived and served faithfully among the people of God, among the people of Israel. And he should be commended for his faithfulness. But if Moses is to be commended, then Christ is to be exalted Because he didn't just live and serve among the people, which he did. He left heaven and walked and served in this world. But he didn't just serve among us. As the son, he rules and reigns over the house of God for all eternity. And what is that house? Do you see what the house is in verse 6? We are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. The house isn't a building. The house isn't a physical structure. The house is the people of God. The house is the family of believers. But did you notice how the verse plays out? We are his house if. It's not house full stop. It's house comma. We are included in. We are Part of the people of God, God's family, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We see the same thing in verse 14. Look in the same chapter. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. The true test of our profession of faith, of the authenticity of our faith, is continuance, is holding firm to the promises of God to the very end. And maybe that raises questions of assurance in the life of the believer. If it does, there's a talk on the website from a couple of months ago about Christian assurance. And the author of this letter goes on to talk about it in more detail in chapter 6 and chapter 10. But for now... Listen to those verses. To hold on to the promises of God. You see, the danger of drift, as this author writes, this pastor writes to his church, he says the danger of drift is real. It was real for these first century Christians, probably in Rome, and it is real for us too. Which is why the call to them in chapter 3, verse 1, is no different than the call to us today. To fix... Fix your thoughts on Jesus Christ, and that word "fix" that you see there in verse one—it's a strong word. It's more than a casual glance; it is a firm, prolonged stare. I don't know whether you remember the days of Linford Christie, won gold in Barcelona in '92, but during those uh, Olympics, he coined the phrase "tunnel vision." I don't know whether you remember, but he had his big eyes, and he just focused on his lane and nothing else. Point was, he's blotting out the distractions, the competitors, the noise of the crowd. It's got to go. And he focused simply on the journey, the purpose of what lay before him. And so the author here says to these people in the same way, fix your thoughts on Jesus Christ. You see, we live in a world that competes, for your time, for your energy, for your thoughts, for your mind and for your hearts. So we're called to blot out the distractions and the noise and the humdrum of this life that we might fix our thoughts upon Jesus Christ. And so I wonder as you look to the Lord Jesus every day, as I hope you do, is it more of a a casual glance in the morning and crack on with the day? Or is it a firm, prolonged, limford Christie-like stare upon the Lord Jesus Christ? I wonder, do you spend longer on social media each day than you do in the scriptures? Do you spend longer preparing a physical meal for your children than preparing a devotion to, for their hearts, for their eternal souls? Do we spend longer on our phones than we do at the foot of Calvary, pondering all that Christ has done for us? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then please look again at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. And the call to fix your thoughts upon Jesus Christ. Firstly, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Secondly, guard your hearts from unbelief. Have a look down at verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's worth remembering that these words are part of a sermon. That's what the book of Hebrews is. It is a sermon. It's a sermon from a caring pastor to his beloved flock. And as this pastor looks out upon his flock, so he warns them gently. And he calls them to guard their hearts from unbelief. Which is exactly what the Old Testament people of God did not do in the wilderness. Have a look at verse 7 through to 11, this quote from Psalm 95. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. So for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. A direct quote from Psalm 95. But of course, it's a word for us as well today, isn't it? Did you notice at the start of verse 7, the Holy Spirit is speaking in the present tense? So as the Holy Spirit says, yes, the Holy Spirit has said, God by his Spirit has inspired every single word of Scripture, but God today through his Spirit is still speaking through these ancient words, through the text of Psalm 95, through the chapter of Hebrews chapter 3. God is speaking to you this morning. And do you know what he says? He says, He says, guard your hearts from unbelief. Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like Israel of old. Do you remember the spies sent out in Numbers chapter 13 and 14? Just weeks after being delivered from Egypt, Moses sends the 12 spies into the promised land. I know it's a good land, isn't it? A land flown with milk and honey. What a place. What a glorious place for God to settle his people. But do you remember when the spies come back? Just two of them. Joshua and Caleb. Only two said, God, your promise is good. And I'm going to take it. Lead us into the promised land. Ten out of the twelve failed to Believe. And so we read in verse 11, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And God was good to his word, wasn't he? Because the majority of that generation that came out of Egypt died in the wilderness. They witnessed with their own eyes the mighty acts and deliverance of God from Egypt. They sang and celebrated with Moses and Miriam after they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They experienced and tasted the goodness of God for 40 years in the wilderness as God gave bread from heaven. Yet they never set foot in the promised land. Why? Verse 19, because of their unbelief. And if that's what happened, when they rejected God's faithful servant, Moses, how much more serious if we were to reject God's faithful son, Jesus. Now, there's a number of warning signs that you see within Scripture of hearts that are growing cold to the Lord Jesus. But if you were to go back and reread this particular slice of Israel's history, the book of Exodus and Numbers particularly, then one of the most obvious warning signs of hearts that are growing cold to the gospel is that of grumbling. Within weeks of being rescued, the people were grumbling. They were grumbling against Moses. They were grumbling against the leadership. They were grumbling against God. They were grumbling against each other. They were grumbling. And they grumbled because they had lost sight of the bigger picture. They'd lost sight of all that Christ had done, all that God had done in redeeming them from Egypt. They'd lost sight of all that God had laid before them in the promised land. They'd lost their eternal perspective on life. And so what is the antidote to a humbling heart, to a hardening heart, sorry, and a grumbling mouth? It's a bigger view of Jesus, who is greater than all. So look back to the cross. Let not a day go by that you do not look back to the cross and rejoice in all that Jesus has done for you at Calvary. His body given, his life laid down for your sake. Look back to the cross. Look forward to heaven and the richness and the glory and the wonder of that promised land of rest what a world a world without sin a world without trial a world without hardship look back to the cross look forward to heaven and look up to the Lord Jesus and fix your thoughts upon him our apostle our great high priest our saviour our lord our friend our counsellor and our God Look back to the cross, look forward to heaven, and look up to Jesus. That is how, by the grace of God, we guard our hearts against unbelief. Just over a week ago, we committed um, Steve Pashley's ashes to the ground, and there's a little group of eight of us out in the back graveyard there, and we sang the old version of the Lord's my shepherd. Goodness and mercy all of my life shall surely follow me. And in God's house forevermore, my dwelling place will be. You see, Steve Pashley didn't just taste the goodness of God in this life. He trusted in his God to the very end. He heeded the warning of Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 and by the grace of God, he fixed his thoughts on Jesus. He guarded his heart from unbelief and he has now crossed the Jordan into the eternal land of rest and in God's house forevermore, my dwelling place shall be. How true that is of Steve Pashley. You see friends, this isn't theory, right? We're not dealing with theory here. We're dealing with reality and we're dealing with eternity. So fix your thoughts on Jesus. Guard your hearts from unbelief. And lastly, encourage one another daily. Have a look down at verse 13 as we begin to draw things to a close. But encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And again in verse 15, as has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Do you see the focus on today? Today, today, today. You see the devil's favorite word is tomorrow. Don't worry about those Christian things today. They can wait, yeah. They can wait, address them in the future some point. Just live life today. Take hold of this day. Do what you want today. That'll keep for tomorrow, right? Barbara says it might not. Because there may be no tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. And, of course, through the scriptures, you see wonderful examples of of men and women of God with such wonderful gifts of encouragement, of Samuel and of Barnabas and of Philemon and many others. In fact, the word encourage appears 44 times in the New Testament, four times here in the book of Hebrews. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Oh, to be a people of encouragement, yeah? What a wonderful gift to the church encouragers are. If you're anything like me, you'll have been there in moments when just stuff's pretty tough sometimes. You feel pretty low. You feel pretty beaten in life. And someone sidles up to you or maybe drops you a little email or a text with a word of encouragement. And it breathes new life into your soul, does it not? What a blessing to be people who encourage. But what does that look like in practice? Well, we encourage each other by meeting together, don't we? But not just on a Sunday, this is the primary place where we meet to encourage one another. So please prioritize Sunday morning together. But we do it throughout the week. We meet with people to share life with people. We encourage each other by speaking the gospel into each other's lives. Not just talking together, that's good, but speaking the gospel truth into each other's lives. We encourage each other by singing praises, don't we, together? with our hearts and with our voices and as you look around you see joy etched on people's faces as we sing because we're declaring the goodness of God to each other we encourage each other by sending notes and texts and emails and cards through the post we encourage each other by praying together by kneeling alongside each other before the throne of grace we encourage each other just by being there sometimes for each other don't need to say anything sometimes you're just there in somebody else's life. We encourage each other by doing whatever it takes. To point each other back to the hope held out in the gospel. So here's my question for you as we finish. Are you going to be that person? Are you? Will you, will I, will we encourage each other as we continue on our journey to the land of rest because the lord jesus christ is greater than all he is wonderfully supreme and superior and glorious above all things so fix your thoughts on him guard your hearts from unbelief and encourage one another daily just take a moment and then i'm going to ask the band to come up we're going to we're going to sing a song, Consider Christ. It's an opportunity to reflect, to consider, to ponder these things. Uh, let's stay seated for it, just as a time to reflect. And then we're going to move in to the Lord's table, which, of course, is a time to encourage one another as we cast our minds back to Calvary. So let's just sit for a moment and when the band are ready, they'll play and we can join them as we sing this song.